Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Industries in Motion podcast from RBC Capital Markets, where we'll be exploring what's new and what's next in today's fast-moving markets and industries to help you stay ahead of the curve. Please listen to the end of this podcast for important disclaimers. Again, my name is Mark Odendahl, and I am head of U.S. Capital Markets Research. Now, let's get into today's speaker. I'm really happy to have Dan Perlin on the line today. Dan runs RBC's U.S. FinTech Research franchise. And Dan, along with many partners in capital markets, just hosted our eighth annual FinTech conference. This year's conference was one of the largest and most successful that we've ever had, and we had close to 40 companies presenting. Dan, congrats on a great event, and welcome to the podcast. Mark, it's great to be here. Always a pleasure. So Dan, let's dig into a few questions of what you heard at our FinTech conference. You know, the environment for all financials and FinTech that works with financials has been volatile in 2023. You know, we've had a couple of banks fail. How are the FinTechs navigating this volatility, Dan? You know, it's been um, <laughs> it's been a pretty wild ride, right? Um, coming out of the gates. The thing that surprised us, I think, at a high level is that the consumer and the SMBs, I think, are just better than feared. So... When we look at all the data that came out during the conference, it felt more like the macro environment was a little bit more stable than I think the headlines were suggesting. Consumer spending trends in May, uh, roughly similar to April. On a quarter-to-date basis, that definitely decelerated relative to the first quarter. But the first quarter also had some easy comparisons because of Omicron in the, in the prior year. But if you look at the aggregate numbers, they, they did decelerate about 500 basis points, but they're actually holding up pretty well. You know, on the S&B side, here again, the, the narrative was actually pretty positive. And the question that we keep coming back to is, are they are they holding up better because of the investments that they made in technology during the pandemic? Or are they just, you know, in a, in a better macro position? You know, lots of questions around bank failures and what that did to bank tech spending. But I'll tell you, uh, you know, we had several companies there that are specialized in that area and financial services firms continue to spend. It's kind of non-negotiable at these levels. And at the end of the day, multiple companies were talking about, um, you know, record sales pipelines. So Again, counterintuitive to the narrative that I think was in the market. I do think some discretionary spending has slowed, uh, and we've seen that despite the fact that travel and hospitality, I think, continues to hold up well in the data. And where we have seen some elongations in the sales cycle, it does tend to be in the larger enterprise area and probably spills over more into our services coverage as opposed to kind of the fintech space. So why do you think the consumer or SMB is resilient in this uh, environment? Well, I mean, everything underpins the employment situation. So that's clearly been strong and remains strong. I also think that if you look at uh, the data from a spending perspective, you know, as we read it from payments companies, inflation has is a positive, you know, for most of my names. So they are business models that are priced on the percentage of the face value of a ticket. So to the extent that prices are rising, it flows through uh, as a net positive. What we've seen now is inflation is coming down. They're getting closer to kind of parity with the actual transaction levels. And so it, it could be one of these situations where it's just, you know, it has had some severe, you know, pressure on the consumer, I think, early on. But as it's abating, it's, uh, you know, we're starting to see transaction growth actually make up the difference there. So it, it is kind of this weird interplay. Um, but I would say net net, it's been it's been positive for the payment space. Uh, and here again, I under, you know, underpinning all this is a strong employment backdrop, but inflation is coming out of the system. And so transactions we're starting to see actually tick back up. So it's a pretty good shock absorber. 
And then let's dig in on something else you just said. Um, you know, the fintechs are obviously customers of the banks in many cases, customers of large enterprise. Talk to us about that spending environment in the face of macro uncertainty. Yeah. So from a bank tech perspective, it's been really interesting because you know, during the pandemic, banks had to pivot really quickly to do very simple things, which is just get people out of branches and, and do everything mobile or digital. And what happened during that period of time is I think they realized significant importance of this customer acquisition model that they had. I think they realized that there's a huge amount of efficiency to be gained in the back office. And I think there's a lot more going down this path of modularity in bank tech. You know, it's not fully in the cloud yet, but it's moving in that direction. And so I think it's an extension of what they learned during the pandemic, that there's just so many things to win. And so we look at the companies across our space, um, which there are many, they're all seeing and kind of saying something similar, which is especially in the community bank and credit union space, there's just huge demand for technology. A lot of that's because they've been behind the curve for years and they're catching up to the big banks, but it also allows them to be more competitive with them. So I think the catalyst for, for why it continues to be a huge area of focus is that <laughs> there's just tangible benefits and technology is now caught up to, uh, to help these uh, smaller institutions be a lot more competitive with bigger ones. So how does innovation fit in that kind of narrowing of the customer focus for a lot of these fintechs? You know, if, so if I move myself away a little bit from, uh, from bank tech and I just think more broadly about kind of fintech, what, what I think we're seeing is just so much more software that is being pulled into all aspects of fintech. It started with integrated payments. That has been around for a number of years. But the reality is what businesses are looking for today is more often than not a platform or a single provider. So it's not as uh, it's not as fragmented as it once was, but they're looking for more integration to actually drive a better business outcome, not just some efficiencies. And so that's things like adding payments with working capital, with intelligent inventory management, with increased consumer engagement tools and loyalty, obviously data insights with data uh, analytics, obviously AI plays into this and will, will be a bigger part of that theme. But I think the, the key kind of high level message I would send is simply that software integration within all things fintech is kind of what's going to happen over the next five years. We're already seeing it and uh, the end market's already demanding it. And I think they're realizing that the businesses that are actually, again, driving better outcomes and not just some back office efficiencies are the ones who uh, are going to win. All right, let's shift gears and think like an investor that was sitting in the crowd at the conference. What did they hear? What are some of the strategies that, that the corporates were discussing to make their companies more investable? You know, I would say there's been a lot of um, strategic reviews in the space um, that includes spins. I think the uh, lack of access to capital here as of late or the, the cost of capital going up has caused businesses to, to refocus. Um, and again, coming out of the pandemic, I think people are just more streamlined. So what we heard was a real focus from management teams to ultimately try to figure out what are the right what are the right KPIs? Are we going to separate these businesses uh, into two so that we can have the appropriate shareholder base and the appropriate amount of capital to invest in those businesses? I mean, that was a really big trend. I count, I think, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven companies that are in some sort of kind of strategic process. And that is, doesn't even really include uh, the heavy M&A lift that I think is going to be um, ensuing over the coming you know, several months and quarters. So I think that's a big area. The other thing I would just say is, um, you know, in an environment where you had a lot of IPOs a couple of years ago, they're kind of in the year two of the IPO cycle. And that's where, um, you know, they say the rubber meets the road. Like that's when you really realize what kind of businesses you have. 
And here again, the focus on profitability because the cost of capital and lack of capital is not there has really narrowed product roadmaps for so many companies. I think it's a good thing, quite frankly, for the incumbents because they're not having to compete with uh, with kind of free money, you know, IPO companies. But I also think it's good for those companies that did go public because I think they had way too broad aspirational goals. And so they're becoming better businesses for it. So it's interesting because there is this notion of kind of simplicity and transparency that I think is starting to come out of this group. And I think investors are starting to you know, hear that. I think it's starting to resonate with them. The focus out there for many corporates and many of the customers of FinTech, are you worried about the narrowing of the product portfolios impacting inflation longer term? Not really. I think it's better innovation is the way I would probably describe it. Um, there's a lot of companies that were, I think, focused on too many things and they were stretched you know, the, uh, the ability to find engineering talent is, is obviously always a challenge and has been for a number of years. So when we looked around our universe of companies, I would say we're seeing you know, better, more focused innovation as opposed to uh, everybody just kind of dropping another product that feels kind of OK, but not that not that focused. And I think that's probably going to prove to be a positive. But I also think it very much will play into the theme we were just talking about, which is, you know, you can create a software product that creates some efficiencies and that's fine. And that has been uh, wildly successful. But the products that get engineered today are actually, this goes to the S&Ps kind of you know, holding in there. They're figuring out ways to run their businesses so much better. How do they get an individual into the store? How do they have uh, less shopping cart abandonment? You know, how do you have uh, net new sales? Are you underwriting company, our uh, customers and or companies to come in to expand their businesses or for customers to actually be able to shop? I mean, it's a, it's a completely different mindset, and I think that it requires a lot more focus. So I'd say better innovation, Mark, just, just better. Staying on this theme of focus, I saw in your note that you were talking about free cash flow and companies talking about the importance of free cash flow coming out of the conference. Do you want to dig in there a little bit? You know, the reality is um, free cash flow is, is always a major focus for these companies. But here again, the operating environment that, that the companies are, have been in, you know, just requires them to, to focus on that. And so what we heard, I think, uh, across the board was, yes, we're working on better working capital. That's for sure. There is absolute cost containment efforts that are in there. But you got to remember a lot of the supply chain costs that were embedded in a lot of these companies were really, really high. And so they've gotten a lot better. So you've got inflation and supply chains that are starting to uh, improve. That's creating, I think, better comparisons. And so the balance between that investment cycle that we were just talking about, but also some cost inflation supply chain issues that are getting better is actually likely to generate better free cash flows uh, in, the in the coming quarters. And we heard that not just from like one company, but we heard it like universally. The big boys always seem to uh, be able to throw up a ton of free cash flow, but the smaller companies are the ones that have struggled. And uh, that's just not, that's changing pretty, pretty dramatically now. And then you touched on this a second ago, but uh, M&A, how do you feel about financial sponsor M&A or strategic M&A in this sector? I think both are going to be uh, very active. From a sponsor perspective, you know, a lot of these uh, public companies that came public are down 60, 70% from IPO. You know, I mean, they're, they're down huge. So it's possible that you're going to see kind of a, a retread almost, you know, companies come public, then they get bought back in. At the same time, some of these innovative companies that came out, which were a little disruptive to other maybe larger incumbents, are now a lot cheaper as well. And so the strategics who have that free cash flow and balance sheets potentially to, to use, 
I think they're going to start to go after them. You know, there's lots of, again, spins that are occurring in the space. And part of those are designed really to free up capital for businesses to go out and make M&A. I think it's going to be an incredibly busy year, uh, next 12, 18 months for M&A. And I think it's both sponsors and strategics. I don't think I would delineate between the two right now. I think there's there's plenty to go around. So you've played a significant role in this conference for the last eight years, along with many partners around RBC Capital Markets. How has this conference changed over the years? You know, I would say a couple of things. The the, clearly, the breadth of the companies that we're getting are, are just much, much larger, better suited for, uh, you know, for for technology as opposed to just one narrow vein of payments. You know, fintech is a it's not a homogeneous group. It's really, really a wide cast of things. The technology, I feel like I'm more of a software analyst than I used to be because of how much that's evolved. And we've, we've seen that, I think, in the conference as well. Whereas if you know, we go back to the first one, I, I felt more services oriented or payments focused. Like that would have been the power alley. Now the power alley is like, how do we implement software in this kind of financial construct? Um, and that's a, that's just a very, very wide net. So it's, um, it's a bigger conference. The companies are bigger and better. The technology I think is way better. And I think it feels, you know, a little more software centric. And then we had a very interesting MasterCard keynote presentation. And Dan, you hosted the president of data and services at MasterCard for this keynote. What did you learn thematically that MasterCard communicating to investors? She was a fantastic speaker. The point there is that so much more to be wrapped around a payment ultimately, and that's a global statement. So you need, as all these new consumer facing applications continue to build out, you think about how much that's increasingly on a digital capacity. There's a lot of cybersecurity that needs to be put around it. And that needs to be put in the context of global cross-border at scale. And that is a hard, hard uh, thing to do. That's a big theme. Another big theme is what they would call their services business, which is how do we derive, again, incremental value for the, the user of our product in this case? Can you drive more transactions into the merchant? through their insights. So these are companies that used to facilitate payment. Now they're facilitating and creating opportunities for consumers to want to be spending outside of just the traditional loyalty programs that you would have had in the past. So the theme is payments core remains, security a bigger concern than it ever has been. And you need to do that at scale in, uh, in cross-border capabilities. And then, you know, what other products and services are you able to basically wrap around the payment that ultimately uh, drives growth for their end users. In most instances, that's the merchant. Well, Dan, uh, thank you for this conversation. It's always great to hear you opine on your industry. And I know our top investor clients enjoy it as well. So it's great to be able to provide that uh, on this podcast. And congratulations to you and all our partners around Capital Markets to, uh, to host one of our most successful fintech conferences. It remains a very important part of RBC Capital Markets in general. Thank you very much for coming on today. Thank you so much, Mark. And thanks for being such a fantastic partner for us. What else lies ahead in today's ever-evolving markets and industries? We'll be keeping track right here on Industries in Motion. Until then, thank you for joining us today on this episode recorded June 26, 2023. Make sure you subscribe to Industries in Motion wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to continue this conversation or you're interested in more information, please contact your RBC representative directly or visit our website www.rbccm.com forward slash Industries in Motion for further insights. We really appreciate your time today. Thank you very much.
This content is based on information available at the time it was recorded and is for informational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation and no recommendations are implied. It is outside the scope of this communication to consider whether it is suitable for you and your financial objectives.